Today is a very special day. We all gotta laugh at ourselves once in a while. I object to all this sex on the television. I mean, I keep falling off. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today I'm recording in my partially remodeled auxiliary control room. I guess that's what we're calling the spare bedroom now. So if the sound sounds a little different, it's because I'm still working with some sound reduction materials and trying to find the right mic placement trying to readjust the levels. You forget how many moving parts there are to redesigning a room. Every little thing matters. So we're going to plow ahead like I have it right, and as I listen to the playback, I'll know for sure whether I do or not. But that's all beside the point. We have some more stories today, and today's episode, as the title suggests, takes us back to television. I've done several episodes about TV tropes, and I just love talking about TV. So I'm bringing back some more TV tropes for you to consider. Tropes, for those who don't remember or don't know, are those overused plot devices. Some are overused so much they make you crazy. Some are overused, but you recognize them and it's, oh yeah, okay, I get it. Tropes are not necessarily a bad thing, they're just easily recognizable. And after watching as much TV as I have in my life, you do tend to notice them and you do tend to get tired of them sometimes. So I'm going to share with you some more TV tropes today. And then, because we haven't done a music episode in a while, I figured I'd play some more theme songs for you from shows that I grew up with. And I'll tell you a little about them when I play them for you. I'm going to do it in the usual Name That Tune format. I'll do a little introduction and play a little bit of the song and see if you remember it, and then tell you what show the song is from. So that's the plan for today. First up, though, it's the TV tropes. And we've been through a lot of these over the years that I've been doing the podcast, and some of them are just so obvious and so painful to me, like the perpetual parking spot in front of a building. We all know that one. Whenever the hero needs a spot, there's a spot right in front of the building, and the hero never has a parking meter to feed. That's a TV trope. So here are a lot of the recurring things that I've seen in TV over the years. Now I recognize them because I've been watching TV for so long. You'll probably recognize some of them. Some of them I may throw out there and you'll go, I didn't know that was a trope. Well, believe me, I've seen it so many times, it's a trope. The first one involves one of the main characters having some kind of an injury, a broken leg, throwing out their back, something that lays them up for the entire episode. And they always build the story about the fact that the main character can't get around. Sometimes they do it well, sometimes they don't. And I'm going to use one of my favorite shows, Castle, as an example. There was an episode in Castle where Castle had a broken leg, was confined to a wheelchair. Which is fine, that happens. People get broken legs, they throw out their back, whatever. And they crafted a nice little episode about him being confined to a wheelchair. I mean, it was a straight ripoff of Rear Window, the Hitchcock movie. But they did it well. But in my mind, that's the one where they've run out of ideas, so let's put the character in bed or in a wheelchair, some way that he's immobilized or she's immobilized, and we'll figure something out. The related one is where the main character is poisoned, or is shot, or is otherwise in some kind of life-threatening situation. Now, when it's the main character, and again, I'm going back to Castle, when it's the main character who's been poisoned, or has been in a car wreck, or disappears, we all know nothing's going to happen to the main character. They're trying to build tension. They're trying to give us something dramatic to root for. They're trying to put us in suspense. But we know if the show is called Castle, you're not killing off Castle. So it's really an artificial thing that doesn't have any dramatic weight in a weekly TV series. And yet they insist on doing it. 
The first one, the broken leg, the bad back, okay, I can see that as a plot device. It works, I guess, if you're out of other story ideas. But seriously, stop poisoning or making the main character disappear. It's not a good plot device for a regular TV series unless you're changing the name of Castle to something else, like Beckett. Here's another one that's come up over the years. Again, I'm going to refer to Castle because I have seen the show a lot. I have it on DVD. I watch it. I like it. Although, quite honestly, going back to my five-season rule that I mentioned a couple of seasons ago in the podcast, I really only watched the first four or five seasons of Castle on DVD. The five-season rule, for those who did not hear the episode, a TV series is usually only good for five seasons. Once you hit the five-season mark, everything after that is kind of downhill. The exception is if you've made some major cast changes or changed locales. Five seasons is all any show has in it. But I digress. I'm rehashing old podcast episodes now. That's a trope, right? Now, the trope that I wanted to talk about, which was in Castle, but which has been in other shows too, it's the classic babysitting an egg trope. To teach responsibility, to teach how to give care to somebody or something, to show some personal development, someone somewhere along the line has to babysit an egg. In Castle, it was an exercise that Alexis, Castle's daughter, was having to do for school. She had to babysit an egg, taught her responsibility. It's been done in other shows. I don't need to see it. We get it. Eggs are hard to babysit. So please, enough babysitting eggs. The next trope is one of those weird little observations that I've made over the years, but you see it recurring over and over again. It's the beautiful wife and the schlubby husband. You got the guy who's found a girl who's way out of his league. She wouldn't give him the time of day in real life. But in TV land, they're married and they get along perfectly, even though he's nothing but a jerk or a dumbass most of the time. I mean, you can go all the way back to the honeymooners. That's where this really started. I mean, Alice and Ralph together? What would Alice see in Ralph? A loud, obnoxious, ornery, borderline nasty son of a gun. Why is Alice with Ralph? You can see it in The Simpsons. What's Marge doing with Homer? Marge has been with Homer for 30 years. What the hell? Marge can do better than Homer. But you also see it in other sitcoms like The King of Queens. Even Everybody Loves Raymond. I mean, Raymond is not too much of a slouch. But I mean, Deborah and Raymond together? Why would she put up with that? That just bothers me. Deborah can do better than Raymond. We all know it. So yeah, the schlubby husband and the beautiful wife, it does wear me out a little. And Everybody Loves Raymond also has another one of the tropes that I really hate. It's the dopey dad trope. How many dads in sitcoms, and in dramas too, but mostly sitcoms, how many dads are just dumb as a pile of rocks? I mean, some dads are a little slow on the uptake, and there are some obnoxious, narcissistic, selfish dads out there. I get that. But if you see a dad on a TV show, he's usually dopey. It's like the wife has an extra kid. He can't be depended on. He can't do things by himself. He can't watch the kids. He doesn't know how to go to the supermarket. He doesn't know how to cook. Whatever it is, dad's a dope. You know, real-life dads are not dopey. I know it's hard to believe, but real-life dads are not dopey. At least not all of them. But on TV, the vast majority seem to be just a little dim. Something else in TV that happens far too often that I've never had happen in life, who goes and locks themselves in a bathroom and refuses to come out? I mean, I know people have run to the bathroom and shut the door and after five minutes they calm down and they come out and I'm sorry or whatever, it was bothering me and I just needed a break and I needed to... Whatever. It happens. I know that it happens. But locking yourself in the bathroom, refusing to come out, refusing to answer, maybe I've been lucky in my life, but I've never had anybody in my life, family member, girlfriend, wife, nobody's ever locked themselves in the bathroom and refused to come out. 
But in TV, it takes a small group, some persuasion, sometimes a call to mom, sometimes some begging and pleading. We have to coerce the person into coming out from the bathroom. When does that happen in real life? It's just overused and unrealistic. I don't like that. I mean, I know it's a sitcom, but a little reality would be fine with me. Nobody locks themselves in the bathroom. Another thing that happens in TV, or actually doesn't happen in TV, is people watching TV. People on TV never seem to watch TV or appear to be aware of TV. And sometimes it's like they've never heard of TV. One of the few exceptions to this is Friends, the TV show Friends, where Joey and Chandler make it a point to watch Baywatch. That's one of the few acknowledgments I can think of that TV exists on TV. It's like the people on TV have never heard of misunderstandings. They've never heard that if they just said something to somebody instead of stayed quiet, the whole confusion that led to the entire episode would have been avoided. It's why cops always go to the meetup, because they've never heard of an ambush. It's like there's always mistaken identity. Nobody ever expects the frame. And anytime somebody says they're framing me, nobody ever believes them, even though it happens all of the time. It would seem that if you've watched a TV show at all in your life, you would know that misunderstandings could be avoided by simply saying something. If someone's saying, I'm being framed, and you know that they're a good guy, maybe look into the frame a little more closely. If somebody wants to meet you at midnight in the abandoned warehouse... Maybe you'll think a little about that, because that's what happened to Mannix. And we know what happens to Mannix. He always gets knocked out. I mean, seriously, watch an old episode of Mannix. 50-50, he's going to be knocked out somewhere along the line. Poor Mannix. He's probably got post-concussion syndrome. But that's because he never watched TV. He would know these things were coming if he'd just watched some TV. And you know, that trope kind of leads me to the next one. I call it the Nevermind. You see it all the time, whether it's a comedy, whether it's a drama, whether it's a mystery, whether it's a love story... Hallmark movies are good for this one, but so is any sitcom. One of the characters goes to the other and says, There's something I wanted to tell you. Or, I have to ask you a question. Or, there's something you really need to know. And then one of two things happens. The character says, Ah, it'll keep. Or, somebody interrupts. And the thing never gets said. In either case, the person who is supposed to get this information never follows up. Never asks the question, What did you want to say to me? What was so important that we had to talk? What was it you wanted to tell me? I mean, for me, if somebody says, there's something I need to tell you, then I ask, well, what is it? Never mind. No, no, really, tell me, I want to know. No, it'll keep. No, it won't keep. Now I need to know. No, I'd rather not say. You've got to tell me. I am such a nudge, I would needle them until they told me what it is they came to tell me. I mean, in real life, if somebody comes up to you and says, there's something I got to talk to you about, or there's something you need to know, aren't you going to push them? In TV, that doesn't happen. And it should. I know. It's TV logic. If they didn't do the nevermind, there'd be no story. We'd have to find 40 minutes of other stuff to talk about. But that's why it's not such a good trope. Because the nevermind is not something that's realistic. It just doesn't happen. Not like that. I mean, I might push somebody and they finally say, no, I'll tell you later, but I'm not ready to talk about it right now. I'll finally go, all right, but, you know, I really want to know. But it's not something that I let go. And I don't think most people do. Now, the last one I wanted to mention as far as tropes are concerned is not so much a trope. It's more of a thing. I don't know if there's a name for it, but it happens all of the time in television shows. It's the disappearing character. I call this sending the character to Mandyville. I heard that somewhere along the line. It's called Mandyville for a reason. If you know the show The West Wing, which is one of my all-time favorite shows, in the first season of The West Wing, there was a character named Mandy. She was a fairly prominent, fairly important regular character. 
who I found very annoying. Never really liked Mandy, but she was part of the show. Nowadays, when I watch it, I pretty much fast forward through the Mandy portions. But she was a big character in that first season. Second season of The West Wing, no Mandy. Not only is there no Mandy, there's no explanation for what happened to Mandy. Mandy just disappeared. She was unceremoniously written out of the show. Without a whisper of what happened to her, where she is, where she went, gone. So, in my mind, she's in Mandyville. Wherever that is, we don't know anything about it, but that's where she lives now. Mandyville. So there's been a lot of characters in TV shows over the years that moved to Mandyville. One of the earliest ones that I know about and that I remember to this day is Chuck from Happy Days. If you remember the first season of Happy Days, the old show from the 70s, I don't know how much you've watched it. But in season one, Richie Cunningham has a big brother, Chuck. Chuck goes away to school. We see Chuck in a few episodes. He's at a family dinner. He's out shooting baskets. And then he disappears. He's gone. Gone for good. Gone off the face of the earth as if he never existed. And he's never mentioned. Chuck moved to Mandyville. That's the only explanation. There's another character from the series Boy Meets World. If you watched that show, the original Mr. Turner, he was in it for a while. Like two seasons. And then gone. At least he got a reference. I think it was some kind of accident that knocked him out. And he did get kind of a reference in one of the subsequent seasons. But Mr. Turner, gone. Living in Mandyville. Who remembers Ben, Ross's kid, from Friends? Ben was a huge part of the early seasons. Who gets custody of Ben? Who has visitation with Ben? Ross is always worried about Ben. Ross is worried about Ben being raised by lesbians, because Ross is an idiot. But Ben, 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 Ben. By the end of the Friends run, Ben was living in Mandyville. And I'm sure if you think about it, you're going to think of some characters that you knew, that you loved, that just disappeared. We're just going to have to find a way to get to Mandyville to visit with him. Since we're not in Mandyville, though, since we're here in the real world, I think we can move on to some music that might be entertaining to you, might bring back some memories. These are theme songs that I remember for various reasons and that you may or may not remember, too. Now, this first one is for any kid that grew up after basically 1970. At some point or another, you heard this song. Oh yeah, the Sesame Street song was big. My mother got a songbook based on all of the songs from Sesame Street. How to get to Sesame Street. It had Rubber Ducky. It had Sing, Sing a Song. And it had this song. And my mother loved playing the Sesame Street music. So yeah, I knew this song. Even if I'd never seen Sesame Street, I'd know this song because my mom loved to play it. Some theme songs are iconic just because of the first few notes of the song. And no matter what you feel about the show, this theme song, pretty iconic just based on the opening bars. show or hate the show the theme from roseanne automatically lets you know what show you were watching you knew the show as soon as that harmonica started playing and to me as i've said before that's the sign of a great theme song the first few notes you hear it you go oh yeah i know that show and roseanne had one of those theme songs now this next theme song i'm gonna let play for a little bit because it's gonna sound familiar and you're gonna recognize it but there's a little story that goes with it 
so as you hear these first few notes, you go, oh, yeah, yeah. And then it transitions. I like what they did with this theme song. It's Star Trek The Next Generation. And what they did was essentially a callback at the very beginning to the original series theme song, which I've talked about in an earlier episode, those first four notes. So they do the little callback with a little echo to the original series, and then they merge it into the theme song from the Star Trek movies, which used a totally different theme song. And I think they did a really cool thing blending the original series theme with the movie theme and making it the Next Generation theme. As I've said, I'm not as big a fan of the Next Generation as I am the original series, but it's still a good theme song. All right, this next one I've edited out the spoken intro. Back in the 70s and the 80s, they would put a spoken intro over the beginning of some theme songs, and I decided to edit out that spoken intro because A, it gives away the song right away, and B, the song itself, it's really good, really upbeat. And if you know the show, you'll know it from the beginning of the song. The A-Team was super popular. It was one of those action-adventure, shoot-'em-ups, anti-hero-type shows that gave us Mr. T and ran for three or four seasons. It was really just stupid fun. It also gave us a really good movie. Underrated, the A-Team movie was really well done as well. But it all started with the A-Team series. And what a great theme song. Now, the next two go back to the 60s. The first one is a song that really isn't a song. It just captures the feeling of the show. I mean, there's a theme, but the theme isn't really the music. It's what you'll hear in the theme song. Here's what I mean. Now, you may not know that Tarzan had his own series, but Tarzan had a series back in the 60s. And I remember watching it in syndication. It was one of those Saturday morning shows on syndicated TV. Can't remember if it was Channel 5 or Channel 11. One of them showed it when I was a kid. Tarzan was cool. Now, Tarzan didn't look like any kind of superhero. He looked like a dude in a loincloth. But he had jungle skills, and he knew how to swing on a vine and call the animals to help him. And so Tarzan had a series, and that was the theme. The other theme song from the 60s is a show that is basically the result of the success of The Twilight Zone. Now, I mentioned editing out the spoken word at the beginning of the A-Team theme. I was looking for a version of this theme song with the spoken word in it and could not find it. The theme song is still good, but the spoken word was kind of cool, too. This is the theme song for The Outer Limits. I don't want to say it was a spin-off from The Twilight Zone because The Twilight Zone is unique. 
That was Rod Serling's baby, and he was awesome with it. The writing, the directing, the storytelling. But The Outer Limits was around the same time. Again, it's another show that's available in syndication. You can probably find it on Tubi or something like that. It also told weird stories. And the spoken word had an intro about we've taken control of your TV set, don't try to change the channel. It was an interesting little premise. But the theme song is one of those things that kind of stays with you, kind of haunts you. It's no Twilight Zone theme, but it's still a pretty good theme. Okay, changing it up completely from the weird and wonderful of the 60s, we've got the wacky and goofy stuff from the 70s. This first one is another one of those iconic themes that as soon as you hear it, you go, oh yeah, I know that show. Monty Python's Flying Circus was just a weird little British show. The only way we could see it was on PBS, Channel 13 out of New York. It was one of those channels that we barely were able to receive because the signal was so weak on the -the over-the-air antenna that we had back when I was a kid. So we'd be watching Monty Python through static and snow and the picture wobbling and the vertical hold sometimes giving way. I didn't get most of it when I was a kid. But the theme song, as soon as I heard those notes, I knew, oh, cool. Some wacky, goofy, strange, odd fun coming up. And it always was. And speaking of wacky, weird, odd fun, this show was a spinoff, believe it or not, from Happy Days. Not everybody knows that this character made his first appearance on Happy Days. and Mindy. I didn't watch it a lot because it was almost too weird and wacky for me, but Robin Williams was unbelievably funny. He did so much with this show. He did so much with the material they gave him. It was really a funny show. He was really funny on it. Now, I prefer Robin Williams' stand-up routine. I prefer him in the movies. The guy was really a good actor if you've ever seen him do other things. Some of his serious stuff was really amazing. Goodwill Hunting. One Hour Photo, what a creepy movie that was. The guy could act. But he got his start in Mork and Mindy, at least as one of his regular TV spots, and he parlayed that into a huge career. Okay, this next one, also a weird little show from the 70s. I think it's underrated, but that's just me talking. But if you get a chance to look for it and you can find it, either on Amazon or Tubi or one of those online sources, check it out. show is called Soap. It was a parody of soap operas. To fully appreciate it, I guess you'd probably need a good understanding of what the soap operas were like during daytimes. Soap operas during the daytime were just ongoing dramas that lasted literally for decades. Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, As the World Turns. There were so many soap operas. So Soap was a parody of this genre. And yeah, it's a little dated. And some of the stuff that they talked about, you're going to look at and go, oh, really? That was a thing? Yeah, it was a thing back then. Billy Crystal was in Soap. 
He looks like he's 12 in the show, but that's one of his first big roles and he was very funny in it. But there's a huge cast of people who you will recognize if you watch the show. And yeah, it's definitely worth checking out if you want a taste of what 70s sitcoms were like. Finally, the last one on the list today, it's the theme from a cop show and it's not one of my favorite cop shows. But cop shows always had great theme songs, really energetic, really got you pumped up, really got you ready for the show. And this theme song is no different. song for Cagney and Lacey. Now, Cagney and Lacey started as a TV movie, and Tyne Daly played Lacey in the movie and all throughout the series. In the movie, it had Loretta Swit as Cagney. Then they had Meg Foster in the first six episodes, which was basically the first season of Cagney and Lacey. And then they picked it up for a full second season. And when they picked it up for a full second season, that's when Sharon Glass came in to play her. And I don't have anything against Sharon Glass. She's a fine actress. But I love Meg Foster. I've always loved Meg Foster. If you've never seen Meg Foster in anything, go look up her IMDb. Really great actress. Really strong. Really powerful, dramatic presence. The most amazing eyes you've ever seen. Just a really talented woman. And they switched her out. And they kind of changed the feel of the show when they did so. Now, I wasn't watching too much Cagney and Lacey when it was new. That was back in the early 80s. But I've watched it on repeat and syndication since then. And I discovered the difference in the seasons, the difference between Meg Foster and Sharon Glass. And the show was so much better with Meg Foster in it. I would have loved seven seasons of Cagney and Lacey if Meg Foster was in it. But they didn't ask me, so. That doesn't take anything away from the theme song. The theme song, really a cool theme song. Upbeat, gives you the feel of the show, has a unique feel to it. And so even though I'm not the hugest Cagney and Lacey fan, I do like the theme song. I mean, how can you not? So there you have it. Some more tropes, some more TV themes to consider. And believe me, I've got a lot more that I can talk about and that I can share with you. And I will down the road. Maybe I have watched too much TV in my life. I have so much to talk about about TV shows. And I have so many memorable theme songs in my head. I love sharing them with you. And I hope you enjoy listening to them as much as I love sharing them. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for putting up with my musical taste and my rants about TV and everything else I rant about. You guys are the best and I can't thank you enough for spending all the time that you do spend with the podcast. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.